This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. Over the weekend, the state Senate passed a bill making changes to the Public Employees Insurance Agency, known as PEIA. Health costs everywhere keep increasing, but the state program hasn't kept up causing some hospitals to declare that they would no longer accept the program. And we've also had some providers stop taking PEI recently, and that's quite concerning to the legislature because if I give you a benefit and nobody takes it, have I really given you a benefit? That story and more coming up this West Virginia Morning. Support for West Virginia Morning is proudly provided by Luke Frazier. A locality pay bill meant to retain in-state employees now crossing the borders failed in the House on Tuesday. Randy Yowie has more. House Bill 2953 would have created the Commission on Cost of Living Adjustments, tasked with designating the five counties most in need of locality pay adjustments. A spirited haves and have-nots debate focused on eastern panhandle job retention, versus concern from the coalfields and elsewhere over preferential treatment. Delegate Adam Vance, a Republican from Wyoming County, spoke against the bill. There's 55 counties in this state, and the thing of it is, is the top five and the next five never touch the ones in the south. The ones down at the bottom, which is Wyoming, McDowell, Mingo, Boone, they never see none of it. The locality pay bill that would basically set up a commission study and not designate any funding failed 42 to 56. For West Virginia Public Broadcasting, I'm Randy Yowie in Charleston. The House of Delegates approved a bill Tuesday that would limit how much compensation a worker can receive if he or she is injured on the job and can prove their employer deliberately made the work environment unsafe. An example would be an incident like the Upper Big Branch mine disaster in 2010, where 29 miners died in an explosion after safety violations were repeatedly ignored. House Bill 3270 would amend the deliberate intent statute to limit non-economic damages to $500,000 in these kinds of cases. The original version of the bill limited the damages to $250,000, but was changed in committee. The bill passed the House narrowly with 52 yeas and 45 nays, and now goes to the Senate for consideration. The United Mine Workers of America has come out in opposition of the bill. Starting today, some struggling families may have less government support for food as COVID-19 pandemic-era emergency allotments come to a close. Emily Rice has more. Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Programs, or SNAP, formerly known as food stamps, provide temporary help for people going through hard times by providing supplemental money to buy food until they can get back on their feet. Since April 2020, the West Virginia Department of Health and Human Resources has issued SNAP emergency allotments, increasing each household's monthly benefit. Monthly SNAP benefits are now returning to pre-COVID-19 public health emergency level based on the household's income, assets, household size, and other non-financial factors. About 170,000 households will be affected. Kent Novinsky is the Deputy Commissioner of the DHHR's Bureau for Family Assistance. Early on in the pandemic, Congress and the USDA uh, allowed states to increase everyone's SNAP benefits up to the maximum level 
regardless of what they would normally be qualified for based on their household income, assets, and expenses. As a result of the omnibus spending bill, the Consolidated Appropriations Act that was passed in December, Congress brought that portion of the SNAP or that option for states to an end. According to Novensky, Congress plans to repurpose the funding of emergency allotments to allow states to set up a permanent ongoing EBT program for children who are eligible for free and reduced lunch in schools. SNAP benefits um, come directly from the federal government and we disperse those to the clients in West Virginia. On a monthly basis, we draw down those funds from the federal government and push them out to to eligible SNAP clients. We do have other sources of funding that support some nutritional efforts. Uh, One of the big ones is our TANF funding, which we have used to vastly expand Uh, some of the supports that we have available across the state. Temporary Assistance for Needy Families, or TANF, is also known as West Virginia Works, a program assisting families near the poverty level to remain self-sufficient. Advocates and officials are warning that upcoming changes to SNAP benefits could put West Virginia households and food banks in jeopardy. Josh Lonis is a research assistant professor at WVU and directs the work of the Food Justice Lab and the Center for Resilient Communities. The emergency allotment was, I believe, $95. So according to the DHHR, all households will see at least a $95 reduction. Statewide, the average per household is going to be around $120 reduction. Um, And again, that's based on size and income. So for some households, it may be hundreds of dollars reduced. And for others, it might be less. But every single household is at least going to see a $95 cut in March. These changes will not only affect West Virginia families directly, but food banks across the state as well. Food insecurity is pretty much a a poverty problem and a low-wage problem. As I said, the vast majority of those receiving SNAP benefits are working families that are simply not earning enough wages to be above 130% of the poverty line. So that drives um, food insecurity low wages, as do, you know, increasing food prices. Cindy Kirkhand is the CEO of Facing Hunger Food Bank, based in Huntington. It is one of only two food banks in West Virginia. The other is Mountaineer Food Bank, based in Gassaway. We're having to really kind of scale back, and rather than pre-packaged boxes that we distribute at our mobile pantries and stuff, now we're getting down to staple items, you know, that... Uh, will benefit a family. So at a time when the communities at the center of our work need us most, we actually are having to scale back in what we can provide to them as well as our pantries. For Appalachia Health News, I'm Emily Rice in Charleston. Appalachia Health News is a project of West Virginia Public Broadcasting with support from Charleston Area Medical Center and Marshall Health. This is West Virginia Morning. I'm Teresa Wills. It's 751. Mostly sunny and breezy today, highs in the 60s and 70s. Chance of rain tonight with lows in the 40s and 50s. Rain early tomorrow with some clearing in the afternoon, highs in the 50s and 60s. 
Support for the weather forecast is provided by the attorneys at Taurus Save a Law, representing firefighters, police officers, and West Virginia families. Information at TaurusSaveAlaw.com. And by the West Virginia Drug Intervention Institute, proud sponsor of the 2023 WVPB Writers Contest. Entries must be postmarked by March 31st. Learn more at WVPublic.org. Over the weekend, the Senate passed a bill making changes to the Public Employees Insurance Agency, known as PEIA. Health costs everywhere keep increasing, but the state program hasn't kept up, causing state hospitals to declare that they would no longer accept the program. The bill that is now headed to the House of Delegates includes premium increases, which Governor Jim Justice has previously said he would not accept. For the legislature today, Chris Schultz spoke with Fred Albert, president of AFT West Virginia, and Delegate Matthew Rohrbach, the deputy speaker of the House, to understand the bill. Delegate Rohrbach, it's only been a couple of days since this uh, bill came out of the Senate, but what does the House think so far? Well, obviously, it's, it's, a, it's a complex bill, and, and it's, it takes a while to digest something of this size, but it's going to get a due hearing in the House, I can assure you that. Now, uh, PEIA's, the benefit plan, the health benefit plan, with some life insurance, and we can talk about that, but... Uh, for our state employees, and we want a solid, well-funded program that providers will take. And I think what prompted the Senate to come up with Senate Bill 268 is uh, we don't have stable long-term financing, and we've also had some providers stop taking PEIA recently, and that's quite concerning to the legislature because if I give you a benefit and nobody takes it, have I really given you a benefit? It's an excellent way of putting it. I am curious before uh, we hear what uh, Mr. Albert has to say, uh, the Senate did pass uh, a bill specifically dealing with the issue of hospital reimbursements at the very beginning of the session. Uh, The last I checked, that's still sitting in committee over in the House. Uh, What's going on with 127? Well, I think as we'll talk in this, if if 268 passes, that incorporates all of that. I see. So that, that is part of this bill, is that the hospitals, the acute care hospitals, uh, not the critical access, but the acute care hospitals have been, been getting reimbursed about 50 to 60 cents on the Medicare dollar. And frankly, uh, Wheeling served notice to the state they weren't going to take it after 1st of July. Right. And I think there are several other hospitals looking at that. That is just way below their cost of care. So part of Senate Bill 628 is that it raises the reimbursement uh, for health care providers to 110% of Medicare. Now, the outpatient and the providers were at about 108 to 109%. So it's a trivial change there, really a rounding error. But this, is a, this puts into the hospitals an extra $40 million a year, and then there's another $10 million that goes into other uh, non-outpatient healthcare providers, the biggest one being your EMS. So there's a substantial increase in this for the EMS departments. 
uh, durable medical equipment, things of that nature. So everybody's going to 110% of Medicare. Well, it's certainly uh, reassuring to hear, but it hasn't quite just passed yet. And uh, that's why, Mr. Albert, I'm curious to hear, before this passes, before it becomes law, what are the teachers that you're representing uh, thinking and hearing about this in the last couple of days? Well, thank you for asking that question, Chris. And, and to what Dr. Delegate Warbach said about, you know, this is a benefit, not just to teachers uh, and service personnel, but we are included in that group. There are 230,000, about 230,000 active participants in PEIA. And in many cases, this was a benefit uh, over the years given to us or enhanced uh, because we didn't get pay raises for many, many years. And so we had a good health care plan, and we want to keep that going. And we have said for a number of years now, uh, we've got to find a financial fix for PEIA. PEIA itself the public insurance for uh, public uh, insurance for our employees is not broken, but it does need to be financed. We need a financial fix. And we've often said, bring us to the table as participants because we have some ideas of how we can find a long range funding source. And that's what needs to happen. We also realize and, and we, we want to thank the governor for what he has done since about 2017. We have not realized a significant premium increase. We know that at some point we are going to be expected to have some more skin in the game and a premium increase is inevitable. But to hit us all at once with a pretty large premium increase is going to be hurtful. Uh, we know that this is also tied into a pay raise. So uh, there's still a lot of unknowns. I'm glad that it's going to the House and we're hoping that there'll be discussion on the House floor uh, when it does come there for a vote. But there was very little discussion on the Senate floor side and um, no opportunity really to have much discussion. It was just presented Saturday and passed out of the Senate. So we're hopeful that when it goes to the House for discussion that a lot of our questions are going to be answered. That was Fred Albert and Delegate Matthew Rohrbach speaking with Chris Schultz for the legislature today. To hear the rest of that interview, visit our website, wvpublic.org. Tune in every evening, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. on radio and television to get updates on the legislative session. West Virginia Morning is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting, which is solely responsible for its content. You can keep up with the latest West Virginia news throughout the day on our website, wvpublic.org. Support for our news bureaus comes from West Virginia University, Concord University, and Shepherd University. West Virginia Morning is produced with help from Bill Lynch, Caroline McGregor, Curtis Tate, Chris Schultz, Emily Rice, Eric Douglas, Liz McCormick, Randy Yoey, and Shepard Snyder. Eric Douglas is our news director, and he produced today's show. I'm your host, Teresa Wills. This is West Virginia Morning.